0: Alright, so uh, does anybody remember when an email came out? Anybody? Anybody remember when it came out? Right? Uh, came out in 1972. Did you know that? 1972. Email came out in 1972. A guy named Ray Tomlinson is credited with inventing invented email in uh, 1972. Used the little at symbol to denote uh, messages back and forth to computers. So the first um, the big, the big servers came along, in the early 90s. AOL, Prodigy, CompuServe, those kind of things. They all showed up then. Dial-up. Do you remember this awesome feature of uh, internet? Yeah. Who remembers dial-up? Remember the sound? Yeah, you could go off and do something else, and then come back, and maybe your computer was linked up. Right. And then, once you finally got in, like AOL, then you would hear, You've got mail. You've got mail. All right? That's cool. You've got mail. Young people are in here going, I ain't got a clue what they're talking about. Hey, if you're here and you don't know what dial-up is, grab an old person and ask them what that, what that was like. <laughs> uh, does anybody use snail mail anymore? I still, yeah. There's five of us that use snail mail? All right. I send out thank you notes, snail mail, because, you know, it's just cool to have somebody write you a handwritten note instead of printing it off, you know, with that fake little cursive signature that you print out on the computer. But email is email's a lot quicker, though, isn't it? You can get messages across to each other really, really quick. Uh, You don't even have to sit at your desk anymore, right? You can get email across your phone, right? And um, man, I'm pretty sure that the apostles are up there going, man, that would have been a lot quicker, you know? (laughs) How come we didn't have, Lord, how come we didn't have email back in the day, right? And uh, we could have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth Using the iPhone 20 XP plus plus. What's it even up to now? Does anybody even know what the iPhone is up to? XR? XR. XR. See, all the, all the young kids know. They don't know what dial-up is, but they know what the latest iPhone is. Cool. Thank you for that. All right, so this morning we're continuing in Acts, and we're talking about mail. We're talking about the mail that was sent to from the Jerusalem church to the Antioch church and this letter that they composed, it was, it was in regards to the false teaching that they received last week. Pastor Nathan told you about the Judaizers who came and threw the Antioch church off. It threw them off track, saying that faith alone in Jesus Christ wasn't good enough to save, that it had to be faith plus something else. And in this case, it had to be circumcision. So they were telling them that there was Jesus plus something else. And Paul and Barnabas, they took issue with this. And they went back to the Jerusalem church and they were like, hey, we need to nip this in the bud right away. We need to make sure that we go down there and let them know that this is some bad theology that they're getting because they're uh, leading people astray. So Pastor James from the First Christian Church of Jerusalem came up with the idea. Y'all got that, didn't you? Right? Okay. Some of them got it in the last one, right? They were like, Pastor James, wait a minute. Uh, So he came up with the idea of drafting up a letter and then taking some heavy hitters and sending them down to the church in Antioch to let them know. They didn't send an email, didn't send any snail mail down there. They wrote this letter and had four Men of God, take this down there to them. Who likes to get encouraging mail? I like to get encouraging mail. Right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the encouraging mail that this Antioch church got from the church in Jerusalem. Um, so our scripture this morning comes from fifteen or Acts 15, 22 through 35. Acts 15 22 through 35. I'm not going to tell you what page that's on. You're supposed to be bringing your own Bible anyway, right? Even though somebody put that up on the board up there. Acts 15, 22 through 35. Didn't it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Bars- Barsabbas oof, and Silas, leading men along, among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are in the In the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled And from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let's pray together. Great God, as you strengthened and encouraged these Antioch Christians with your words, we ask that you would strengthen us today by your message. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people saying amen. Now, the first thing I see when I look at this discourse of Scripture is unity. I see unity in the church here. Says the apostles with the elders and the whole church. Now, you can underline that if you want to. Circle that, put a big star by it. You can write over it in the margin, Acts 6, 3, through six, because this happened once before, that the whole church came together back in Acts 6 and added seven men to take over the daily distribution of food so the apostles could get back to doing what they do best. So this scripture tells me that the church was never designed to be a dictatorship, that the church was never designed to be run by one committee. That it was supposed to be inclusive, that we were supposed to be a congregationally governed church. Just like we're supposed to be. The Church made the decision on these men. The church is an organism, not an organization. Turn to your neighbor and say, organism, not an organization. We are supposed to be ministry-driven. We are not supposed to be administration-driven. We are not a corporation. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are His hands and feet. When administration gets in the way of ministry, well, you got a big problem. When we put administration over ministry, you might as well go on down to Ace Hardware and get you a big chain and a big old padlock and running around the handles in the front doors and chain that up because it won't be long before that happens. Ministry over administration, togetherness, congregationally governed unity. That's what I see in this. They all got together and they said, Hey, Pastor James, that's a great idea. Let's draft up a letter and have. Two other guys go with Paul and Barnabas down to the Antioch church. And so they all got together and they cho- chose two men. They chose Judas, also named Barsabbas. Some scholars believe that this is the brother or the son of Joseph, Barsabbas, from Acts 1.23. You remember that guy? But there really isn't anything to back that up other than they were called the same thing, Barsabas. You remember Joseph Barcibus, he's the one that lost the dice toss to Matthias uh, back in the first chapter of Acts. So he lost to him when they were replacing Judas, Judas Iscariot. They also chose Silas, also known as Silvanus. He is a prominent figure in the New Testament church. Paul mentions him a few times in, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 1.19, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, and 2 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. And he is mentioned as working alongside of Paul on his second missionary journey to Corinth and Thessalonica when those churches were established. Peter also talks about him in 1 Peter 5.12. So the Jerusalem church, they started off this letter with the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers. Does that sound like a corporate beginning to a letter? No, that was not a corporate beginning to a letter. That is the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God, sending exhortations to another family of God. Same family, different places. Verse 24 says, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, you know, some people, these guys, we hear that these guys are coming around telling you something different. We've already told you what you're supposed to do, but these guys are coming along and they're giving you a bunch of bad theology." They are false teaching. They are teaching that it is Jesus plus something equals salvation. And this, in this particular sense, it's circumcision. The salvation is by grace, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. I'm bad at math. Anybody bad at math? Yeah, thank you. Cool. I'm not in here alone. Right. Bad at math. But I understand a bad equation when I see it. Right. So it's not Jesus plus something equals salvation. That is wrong. It is Jesus equals salvation, period. And they were they were saying, hey, we didn't send you. We didn't send these guys down to you. To tell you this. They did that on their own. That's not on us. We didn't do that. But what they are are doing, they are preaching to you a different gospel. They are preaching a gospel of works. And what they are telling you is troubling you. And the word troubling in the Greek is anaskuazo, And it literally means, it's a military metaphor. It's what happens when an army goes in. To a village and they pillage the place they tear it apart they ravage it they loot it and that's what this word means here yeah. these guys have come down from jerusalem and they are preaching a different gospel and it is ravaging the minds of the antioch church they are messing with their heads and giving them false doctrine. It also means to make one lose their composure. To lose their composure. They were, saying, they were putting fear in the hearts of the Antioch church. They were messing with your heads. Ever had somebody mess with your head? Yeah, that's not fun. That's not good. Messing with your head. The Judaizers, they were messing with the heads of the Antioch church. And because they said, hey, you know, before you said we were under the law and now we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And now these guys are coming down here and say, yeah, you're under grace, but you also have to be under the law. And we're like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. No. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. I'm like, I'd be the same way. That would put, put fear in my heart, too. If somebody came to me at this age and went, hey, man, to be saved, you got to be circumcised. I'd be like, hey, know about all that. So the leadership has come down to set these people straight on what they need to do. Verse 26, the letter, y'all are still letting that process in your head, aren't you? <laughs> Verse, 26. Verse 26 of the letter says that Barnabas and Paul were men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The verb here is paradidomi, paradidomi. And it can either mean to devote or to risk. And we know that they were one and the same that Paul and Barnabas were very devoted to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was also risk involved. We know that they had risked their lives to do this. Now, we, when we devote ourselves to the sharing of the gospel, we can, be, we can bet that we're going to have some risk involved. You know, when I first came to Jesus, I lost friends. I lost church friends. Process that one for a second, right? Yeah. Church friends didn't want to hang out with you anymore because you were a real Christian. <laughs> what? Yeah. There's a there's a messing with your head right there, isn't it? Family members. Family members. There, isn't it? What? I ain't got a clue. You might lose family. You might lose family off in time, uh, <laughs> I to those who logical debates called debates with my sister who is Pentecostal right because we know that in the Pentecostal church that it's Jesus plus something right so the gospel drove a wedge in between me and my sister um be, you will be ridiculed for the gospel you will be ridiculed people will call you names uh Jesus freak. Anybody ever been called a Jesus freak? I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. I will wear that badge all day long. And you may even face death. We had a uh, missionary that was in here in the last service. And uh, when I said that, he's like, yeah, Eyes got real big. He sees, he sees what real persecution is like. We don't really have real persecution over here, but you go to a different country and it starts to get real over there. So 28 29 gets into the meat of the letter. The Jerusalem church and the Holy Spirit, they decide not to burden the Gentiles. No circumcision, no law, only the necessary things. The idea was to not burden them. Not to have any law whatsoever, but they did give them some things to go by. Isn't that what Jesus calls us to do? Is to take him upon ourselves and said for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Matthew 11, 30. The New Testament, in the New Testament, yoke is always used metaphorically with And it signifies bondage, and it signifies a submission to authority. In this case, the bondage was to the law. The law is what held them down. And he calls us to find rest in him from the demands of the law that we can never keep. Jesus is the only perfect person. He is the only one who could ever keep the law perfectly. Jesus said he was the fulfillment of the law. He said he didn't come to abolish the law, Matthew 5, 17. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Now, should we use the law as a moral guide on how to live our lives? Absolutely. We should use that as a moral guide. Should we use the law to try to save us? No. No. The law cannot save you. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that can save us. Instead of the burden of the law, the Gentiles were asked to follow these four prohibitions, not as a law, but as a basis for fellowship. The Holy Spirit was in agreement with them. While these may look like Old Testament laws, they were not. They were a basis for fellowship. If they did these things, they were with Gentiles who had had all of these pagan rituals that they had to, um, that came over into the church. So this was about their fellowship with Jewish Christians whose consciences were still with the old covenant. They were still in their hearts the same They were doing the same things. And it would keep the door open for them. It would keep the door open so that they could share the gospel with unbelieving Jews. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what happens in verse 31. What does it say? It says, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced because a great burden had been lifted off to them. They rejoiced because they were released from the bondage of works righteousness. They were free. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. I am free. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Judaism taught that the study of the law makes a man free. But the gospel of John points to Jesus as truth. He is the one full of grace and truth. And true freedom comes through him and through him alone. It doesn't matter whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter whether you are a slave or free, male or female, gay or straight or Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter whether you have tattoos or piercings. It doesn't matter what color your hair is. Thank God, because my color... The color of my hair is not the same that it used to be. We are free by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and we we can't earn it. It is a free gift, and all we have to do is receive it. It is the gift of salvation, and he gives it away for free, and that's a Ric Flair moment. Woo! Anybody watch wrestling? Wrestling? Yeah, it's spelled with an A in Georgia. No, just me? All right. Yeah, Ric Flair, man. That is a Ric Flair moment. That's good news. That salvation is a free gift from God, and you can't earn it. All you have to do is accept it. That is the good news. One more thing I want you to see before we close Luke called Judas and Silas prophets in the New Testament. Prophecy is primarily a gift of inspiration whereby the deliverer whereby by one delivers a word from God that addresses a present need in the life of the church. These guys were prophets and they used their gifts to encourage and to strengthen the church. Have you ever gotten a letter, a card, email that strengthened you? Strengthened you. You are having a hard time and you got something that strengthened you. That's what this is. This is a love letter from God to you and it is meant to strengthen you. It is meant to encourage you to give you comfort and peace in this world. This is God's love letter. So you have mail. So read your mail and let it encourage you and let it strengthen you to God be the glory